Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi. You probably knew that already, though. <laughs> the co-host for this episode is Liz Nolasco, who used to be Liz Cohen and has been on the show before. I don't want to confuse people. So tell them what you're doing now, Liz. At this particular moment? Or well, in life, professionally, <laughs> right now, maybe. Oh, okay. I'm... Uh school teacher at a private center in California near San Francisco. Three to five-year-olds? Three, four, five-year-olds? Is that um, what you have, or so do you have... the site is two to five. I have oh. four and five-year-olds, oh, okay. so I've had them since they were three. Cool. All right, so Liz and I are going to talk about this quote that we've been talking about talking about <laughs> for months. When she and I were texting trying to figure out what we should talk about this weekend, she was like, we've had four or five quotes that we talk about and then never recorded. So she went back through the list and she found this one for us. So um, this comes from a book called Understanding Schemas in Young Children, Again, Again. And it's um, a book that's edited by Sally Featherstone. Um, I think it was published in the UK, it seems like. I don't know if you've had a chance to... I know I sent you like screenshots and stuff, but... Yeah, I have the book and I... Oh. I feel like I also got that vibe, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I think it might be, um, it might even be like a published dissertation kind of a, kind of a book. I mean, it seemed like it, it was sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, in this quote, they're talking about Tina Bruce, who I'd never heard of, but is a play researcher, play theory researcher, um, who... Uh, hold on, I, I looked some stuff up because I wanted to make sure that we could talk about who she is. Um, yeah, she's a theorist in the area of play-based learning, early childhood development, education, and play. And her theories of play are influenced by Frederick Froebel, the creator of kindergarten. There you go. <laughs> okay, here's the quote. Um, However, like Froebel, Tina Bruce did not believe that play for children should be unstructured. Importance was placed on the role of the adult and on the learning environment when supporting young children to make meaning of their play. For Tina Bruce, play is too important to be left to chance. And I want to talk about this. <laughs> and it took me in so many different directions. I right. don't know. I, I suspect I have a hunch where you're leaning. Well, I, I really just want to... I'm... I'm I... I sort of, I guess, I guess I would say that I've always felt like play was how children learn best and play is what they should be doing. Um, and they should be having a childhood, not an institutional experience if they're attending an early childhood program. Um, but I have evolved from feeling like play, but still the teachers need to be in charge of it to more like, I feel like I'm skilled and comfortable enough now to identify what skills they're learning and working on when they do have unstructured play. So, so I can see, I can see both sides of it and I'm sort of, I don't know, I guess I'm sort of in dis disequilibrium still a little bit about play modifiers and, um, and I'm, I'm having to get better at articulating why I think unstructured play is better 
<laughs> so to do that, I need to have opportunities to talk about both sides and um, and to acknowledge that there are, of course, instances where children need direct instruction for something. But that's I, a different conversation. But go ahead. Maybe well, it's that's not. actually that's where a lot of my thoughts were too with direct instruction and unstructured play and just defining that unstructured play appropriately. Mm-hmm. Because I think the first thing this brought to mind was, of course, you know, I say, of course, like you're in my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the non- <laughs> play provocations, you know, popularized <laughs> by Reggio Amelia approach and yeah. you know, setting up these intentional. Um, I'm going to call them activities because I can't call them play. Yeah. Things. <laughs> yeah. But they're generally open-ended ish, but they do kind of have a set skill to learn with them. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, I think it just brought me to how popular those are, which is, I think, a step up from the traditional sit here and trace this letter A with me. Right. Not where we need to get to. Uh-huh. And I also think there's such, so much in teacher development that's related here as well. Okay. Because if it's your first year in a classroom and you're looking for play, but you're also feeling completely overwhelmed by, I'm going to use a phrase, I hate classroom management, just uh-huh. because it's understandable. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Approved. So you want to have them sitting and playing and interacting and sitting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do. There, There's part of me. Okay, so I was having a conversation the other day, and it might have been during ECE Live Wednesday night um, with uh, Jeff Johnson, Lisa Murphy, and a couple other people who joined us for that, um, where somebody said something about, oh, oh, it was me. Never mind. I mean, it was that conversation, but it was me who said it. So um, we were talking about um, special education situations and how so often children who have an IEP or some sort of label on them don't get the opportunities for developmentally appropriate play that other children might get. And, and um, so I said that, you know, I've, I've been working in sort of a, a special education setting for several months now, and I, I still haven't seen much that I don't think could be accomplished in child-led free play if the teacher is there and skilled and intentional and knows how to plug the things into that free play. So then we had a conversation about whether teachers really need that skill for children to benefit from play. But I think it's a continuum, and maybe that's kind of what what you... I, I definitely think it's a continuum in teacher skill mm-hmm. and developmental stage. Um and maybe what kinds of learning we're talking about. I don't know. I, so I, I've just been throwing that around a little bit. That makes sense. I mean, I think the other piece of this brought up for me was the importance of play. But also, I mean, you've seen the kids who are trying to engage in play and can't and uh-huh. need some really direct instruction. Like I'm thinking particularly like social, emotionally, like really want to engage with these other kids, but kind of need you to sit down and say, hey, you know, they're scared to play with you. Mm-hmm. Let's right. show them this part, like, this is the way that you can play with them that's going to be safer, where they're going to feel better, where they will play with you a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's something to be said for letting kids work out, you know, conflict and negotiating and all that while they're playing with them with each other. But you're right, there are some, like, I, I remember one little boy, he was three, who his way of trying to join play was to watch for a while and then throw something into the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of after observations, we realized 
that was him indicating interest in joining, but not knowing how. So then we did have to do some intentional um, coaching and, you know, we didn't sit down and have a, a table activity about it or, or use some social flashcards to teach him about that. But we did have to do some direct coaching of skills. So, so I don't, I guess, I guess maybe there's something to be said on either side, depending on the situation, maybe is where I'm landing, but it should be mostly child-led. I think that leans more heavily towards the importance of teacher interaction, even when that interaction is observing, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still critical. Mm -hmm. And to to be able to know which kinds of things maybe they need our direct help with. And I'm going to stop saying direct instruction because I don't want people to think that I'm moving to um, large group dominating. (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't, because that's, that's sort of the language weirdness that we're in right now. But, but, but those times when maybe adult does need to give um, intentional guidance and and observing starts, that's where it starts. So, um, so I guess what I'm saying is that we still need to be letting children engage but watching and finding those moments when they maybe would benefit from scaffolding, you know, real right. scaffolding. Again, that's another one that gets hijacked, but that real scaffolding of seeing where they are now and what little bit of help might get them to the next yeah. to the next piece of their learning. Exactly. And I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, I realized I started off by um, being skeptical of the Americanized Reggio Amelia approach, but I think there's a lot to be said for... Um, recording the children at work at play, Uh you know, um, I've started in the last six months setting up the iPad to record and walking away. Oh. And then watching it later and it's catches 10, 20 minutes at a time. Uh huh. Um, but it's stuff that the kids are nervous to do in front of me. They're trying something for the first time and they've already got this idea that, Oh, I can't let the adult see this until I've got it perfect. Oh yeah. So I'm seeing so much skill development that I wouldn't see otherwise that I wouldn't know that they could do otherwise. Mm hmm. Um, but I'm still involved, even though I'm across the room and purposefully, you know, three quarters turned away from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, and one of the other things that, that I got just from this quote, um, you know, that, that very last part, you know, for, for this researcher, play is too important to be left to chance. So there's, there's an obvious value for play there, but for me, there's also sort of a distrust of children in that idea that it's too important to be left to chance. I mean, at some point, I think we have to decide whether we really believe that children have this innate drive and that their curiosity um, guides them and there's purpose in their exploration or, or whether we don't. And I think it took me to a place where, you know, I read that line, I was really struck by it where, I mean, again, I don't want to speak for you. I've seen kids whose creativity and, quest for like knowledge has already been squashed by yeah. their adults. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like the idea of play being too important to be left to chance, I think it really critically hinges on adults who are skilled in bringing that back and not, you know, um, I don't want to say not letting them be with that, but, you know, bringing mm-hmm. back that, the joy and learning. Yeah. Yeah. Which reminds me of, 
um, Lisa Murphy when she describes how she supports play in classrooms and in her own direct care experience where her job was just to say, what do you need from me? And to, to bring it and provide it and whatever that material was. But even that requires some skill. You have to understand um, why they might be asking for that. You have to understand some sort of preventive factors like, you know, if this is the first time they've asked for this and I get it out for the first time, 20, all 20 of them are going to want to do it. And then I'm going to say it doesn't work, but I just need to stick with it. And over time and repeated experience, not all 20 want it every time. And I need to be here to help coach some of that initial experience if it's a new material. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I just don't think that that teacher skill gets enough Um enough conversation but then the other side of that is where are they going to get it because you don't get skill in facilitating play in a degree program right. at, at least not in the ones that I've either talked to people who are part of you know the ones they're part of or the ones I've been part of there's you know I think I've had two classes so far that were specifically about play and a lot of them leaned towards uh, uh, more creating playful but still adult-led kinds of activities and it's playful because we're using toys instead of worksheets but it's really still not true play sometimes right so i don't know where we where we where we get it on the scale that i think we need it yeah i think there's so much i feel like so many people hear unstructured play and hear you go sit and don't worry, the kids are doing what they need to. And I think that it takes a lot of, um, what's the word, base, oh man, I'm, what's the word, sorry. Um, I don't know your word either. No, it's, it's not structure, it's like baseline, just interactions and expectations. Uh-huh. I think that are, you know, totally appropriate expectations mm-hmm. but i think there's a lot of ground groundwork groundwork that's the word <laughs> and, um, you got there <laughs> made it that needs to be laid and that's not saying like the first six weeks in your preschool classroom need to be talking about your expectations eight hours orientation new student orientation <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but i mean i think there's a lot to be said for you know teaching implicit and explicit, you know, consent and respect for other people sure. and, you know, ways that we can interact within this environment in ways mm-hmm. that really aren't okay. They hurt somebody. Yeah. Which is the sort of direct instruction that I think is appropriate. Right. But again, it's not direct instruction in terms of we're all together in a group and we're going to go over the rules, which you, which you said, it's more like in the moment, right? coaching and modeling and, you know, all that negotiating that we sometimes have to work through what i'm also in favor of a debrief afterwards i've there have been a couple it's very infrequent but yeah there there was one time that i recalled i it was just really busy and like nobody was able to focus and (laughs) it was just it was unproductive Uh and which is a word i hate using but it was just everyone was wailing on each other it was not So, you know, some in-the-moment interventions, some in-the-moment interventions. Uh-huh. There was a transition, it cooled off, and then I brought everybody together. I was like, hey, we need to talk about what was going oh, on this morning. Absolutely, yeah. And so I just did um, uh, this week the session of the 0-3 to three curriculum that I'm doing 
um, mm-hmm. for folks here. Um, we just did a section that talks about the limbic system of the brain, and <clears throat> one of the one of the big ideas we we discuss and play with, <clears throat> excuse me, is that there's only so much like energy in in our in our systems. And if all of our energy, you know, the limbic system receives this input in those stressful situations and triggers all these responses, whether it's an increased heart rate or um, sweating or, um, you know, that fight or flight kind of stuff, that's where all the energy is going and they don't, the brain doesn't have any energy left for the logical think through. And so that's where that debrief does come in handy. I think once that balance has been restored, in the moment, we just want to, you know, model and and stop if we need to stop. But we sometimes that debrief, debrief is important. But of course, and I know you know this, but I'll say it because I don't know who's listening, depending on age and skill level. And, you know, obviously a group of toddlers who had a hard time uh, in a group maybe wouldn't benefit from coming together as a group 10 minutes later and doing a debrief. But, you know, the children that I'm working with now, those three to five-year-olds could hand, could do that. And so sometimes, yeah, just bringing it back around and saying, that didn't really work this morning, did it? Right. <laughs> and here's what I noticed. And what do you think? I think There are only so many times in the moment you can say, oh, you know, her face seems to indicate that she does not like what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And then it just keeps happening. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So in this... Um, this is not in the quote, but it's in uh, what I got when I, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> when I um, when I looked up Tina Bruce to find out more information about her background. Um, it says she posits that children don't learn through play, but instead practice what they have learned in their play. And I wondered what you thought about that distinction. With I mean, that's one sentence. That's probably a whole research paper for this for this person, but. I disagree. Yeah, I, I, I sort of did too, because I, I see play. learning and play all the time. Right. And even if they're practicing what they've learned, that's still learning, like, because it extends right. and, it, and it challenges and they have to change and tweak and different kinds of learning comes from that. So I don't know. Um, she does have 12 functions of play, I think is what they're called here. Hold on. Features of play. So I want to read those quick just to see. Because I don't, I don't want to be ragging on her when I don't know very much about her. <laughs> you know, but um, so I looked this up. Okay, so her features of play. First, they use firsthand experiences from life. Um, second, they make up rules as they play in order to keep control. Three, they symbolically represent as they play. Four, they choose to play. They can't be made to play. Five, children rehearse their future in their role play. Six, sometimes play alone. That's highly underestimated and under-discussed, I think. So maybe that's what I... Um, uh, Children pretend when they play. Children play with adults and other children. Uh, Have... Children have a personal play agenda, which may or may not be shared. Children are deeply involved and difficult to distract from their deep learning as they wallow in their play and learning. Eleven children try out their most recently acquired skills. And the last one is they coordinate ideas and feelings and make sense of relationships. So as I read that, I thought, 
that really doesn't sound i mean that sounds like unstructured play and it sounds like it disagrees with her idea that it's just repeating not actively learning right right so that's i wanted to i wanted to throw that in the conversation too maybe we just need to read more about her yeah i'm really curious now. maybe this podcast is just to get other people to look at her stuff and decide what they think because i um i haven't decided yet i just i'm just wanting to discuss it talk about it um but let's talk about uh, children playing alone sometimes are you okay to go that direction i thought that was an interesting feature to include that's not been included in other lists of characteristics or definitions of play that i've seen um and i think a lot of especially in the in the context of where i am i didn't realize how heavily um autism would be included in a speech language program like I, it, it just was not a connection for me that speech language pathologists are a lot of times the ones who are who are um you know doing therapies and helping children who have autism because of their social and you know communication um challenges there um so so a big focus and a goal on ieps a lot of times that i see is learning to play with others or joining in social play or the concerns are that they don't play with others. Um, and I don't know that I agree that that's a concern. Yeah, I. it's such a tricky balance mm-hmm. because, of course, there are lots of benefits to learning how to interact with other people and people sure. do that through play as children. But also if they're able to functionally interact with other people, I think. yeah well and I wonder how um the kind of sort of recent-ish conversations about the value of introverts that have been coming out um just in general but also in education conversations might change some of that thinking um and, and how much diversity considerations play. I mean, if like, you know, we talked about the children who want to join play and have trouble and maybe need some guidance from us. But um, I've, I saw there was one little girl that I had a couple years ago. Well, longer than that because she was four. So it would have been. Um, but she uh, she had some developmental delays that made it difficult for her to join in play. But she didn't she didn't act like she wanted to a lot of times. Like a lot of times she just would watch and she seemed pretty satisfied doing that. And I felt like there was maybe still some value. Like she was watching other people's social interactions. Onlooker um, play is still a it, valid type of play. Right? Onlooker play, right. So so that's another thing that I haven't quite decided where I land. <laughs> right. And I feel like for a lot of people it's hard. It bothers the adults who are seeing it more than it bothers the child who's engaged in it. Right. Oh, I agree with that for sure. But I also feel like I'm not informed enough to make some grand statement and maybe, (laughs) you know, letting them work it out isn't actually serving them best. Yeah, yeah. Like so many other things, I'm sure the good answer is it depends on the child (laughs) and the context and the goals and all that kind of stuff. But. Um, I don't I don't think that we give enough value always to the children who just sit and are content to play by themselves, um, especially when I've also seen lots of goals um, 
I've seen IEPs or IFSPs for the younger ones where one of the goals is to play with others, but another goal is to um, develop more sustained attention when when they're playing by themselves or doing that kind of onlooker play they're in pretty good sustained attention mm-hmm. so i feel like the sustained attention goal almost always has a little asterisk of like what i want them to pay attention exactly the language in an iep will say to a non-preferred task like they all actually put that in there uh, yeah. you know we'll, we'll you know develop a longer attention span for non-preferred tasks all right but still, for this age, you know, it's not going to be 20 minutes on a non-preferred task. Right. <laughs> um, let's see. What else did I want to hit on this? I'm going to look at my notes quick, if you have anything witty to say. I mean, always, but let me see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, here is one of her other quotes. Um Play transforms children because it helps them function beyond the here and now. They can become involved in more abstract thinking about the past, the present, the future. Which I thought was interesting. Especially, and I don't know what age group this research is talking about either. So that would be another important factor in determining, you know, a final judgment on what I think about it. But if we're talking about children under the age of seven... Mm -hmm. um, when abstract thinking is not something that they're maybe developmentally as ready for. I mean, that's typically what I think about, but then I think about play and the way they, you know, use one thing to represent another there. So there is abstract thinking being practiced in children's play. There is. I think that that concept of time, like the past, present and future that was in there, I think is more, um, you know, more abstract in the way that we would think of it as, an abstract concept, right? Uh-huh. Like versus um, using one object to represent yeah. another. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just, and, and that just was sort of a conversation I had with a parent who was touring to uh, the preschool that I'm in now um, and wondering if we did calendar activities because um, he's three and she's concerned that he doesn't understand the days of the week. And so we were talking about, you know, more relevant to their lives right now is just yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the days of the week will come when they have that that foundation built for what's really relevant. <coughs> um, and it was like, she, you could see the light bulb going okay. off. And she was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> the example I've given, I think, before to parents who are asking about that, it was, um, you know, I said that the, the kids who I see most often who have who developed this concept of like the actual days of the week early are the ones whose custody changes from day to day. Oh my gosh. Of course. Go, oh, yeah, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm with dad. Those are dad days. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so that's, you know, that's relevance and that's the other exactly. piece of the conversation when we're talking about whether children learn best from unstructured play or structured play is that we know that they learn best when what they're being asked to learn about is relevant to their lives. Right. Um, and what better way to determine what's relevant than to see what they choose. And then if we feel like there's some sort of instruction that they would benefit from, we can just develop our skills for working that in in conversation while they're working with something that they've chosen, if it's appropriate to do that. Or um, instead of, you know, thinking, oh, all kids love dogs, so I'm going to make this game about dogs and 
it'll be playful because I'm going to put pictures of dogs in a hat. Kids love funny hats. <laughs> this almost makes you think about the um, the field trip conversation and the special event conversations that are uh-huh. always percolating with the, you know, when is it more beneficial to disrupt your predictable day-to-day life with a, you know, a big excursion. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, but also that social to learn, you know, infants yeah. and others out and go into the neighborhood for a walk versus uh-huh. you know yeah so actually i'm reading um rereading the book young investigators about the project approach mm-hmm. um lillian katz and someone who's i'm sorry isn't lillian katz so their name doesn't stick in my mind i'm so sorry if you're listening co-author i'm so sorry i can't remember your name right now but anyway that was the section that really got my attention last week was um talking about any kind of community trips or visitors and having a meeting with those people before you get there so they're not just in, this is our tour script, but usually our tours are eight-year-olds and now they're four-year-olds and right. you know, I need to adjust it, So, um, which is sort of off topic, but I guess not really. We had, a, we had one of our little boys pulled the fire alarm oh. a couple months ago, and so we all had to go outside. The whole you know academic building had to evacuate, and uh, so we had to tell the fire people, that the firefighters, that... Uh, we knew who pulled it. <laughs> so then they were like, well, could we come in and talk to the kids? And, um, so they sat them all down and they stood over them and they gave them this speech and they kept pointing at the fire pull thing that I know none of them, but the one who pulled it that day had ever noticed before. And they were all like, <laughs> suddenly that's all they could see. And one little boy was like, could I touch it now? And the fire firefighter was like, no, that's what we're saying. And he, the little boy was like, could I just rub it a little <laughs> All day then we had to have someone stationed by those because we knew that that classroom visit had done more to intensify the likelihood that it was going to happen again. Oh, no. So I guess that's even our positioning ourselves in front of the fire poles was direct instruction that was necessary at the time to try and pull it back to the topic of conversation. Oh, man. Oh my gosh, we've got a half hour. I didn't think that much had gone by yet. <laughs> well, is... how much of that is actual podcast? <laughs> oh, it's all actual podcast, Liz. Oh. All, all that pre-gaming it was a whole different recording. Oh, good. <laughs> I, the listeners will be happy to know. None of our private conversation will be Not part of this. Not as happy as I am. But... <laughs> <laughs> part of this conversation. I'm sorry. Clearly, we're winding down. Do you have anything else you want to you finish on with this? Or anything you wanted to say that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, I don't know. I, th- I think all I want to say is I'm still unresolved on this too important to be left to chance thing. Yeah, I definitely feel like I need to go and read more. So, um, so maybe it's something we can revisit when we both have processed it a little bit more fully. Um, and maybe there's people listening who have heard of her and know more about her and they can help us figure it all out because it yeah it was like it was one of those quotes that I immediately disagreed with and then the more I thought about it I was like wait I need I need more information (laughs) and then like you know like we said as I read the the features of play and that other quote that seemed to contradict I just I'm not sure where she falls on this so I'm not sure where we should fall on this and too important to be left to chance just is so broad because I mean there's 
you know, a thoughtful and intentional setting up of a classroom. Exactly. That's yeah. very important. Yeah. And and I'm reading, or I just finished reading um, The Play's The Thing by Elizabeth Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that book, she outlines what the role of the adults is during during that play. And so it's stuff like setting the stage and um, uh, observing and, you know, figuring out what it means. And um, so Lisa Murphy and I have talked about doing episodes on each of those roles too and yeah so that's absolutely something that can be brought into this conversation that just because the adults not running every minute of it doesn't mean that they haven't been intentional about it um and so in some ways that's sort of structure like the things you have in the classroom and the expectations you have for how it'll be used and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. sort of falls into that i think all right so our task is to learn more. Always. Come back and revisit. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking about this with me. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. Goodbye. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. Bye.